You're listening to The Boss Business of Surgery Series, Episode 48. Today, I talk with Dr. Truba Probacher, and we talked about creating a cash-based surgery practice. This one clearly is going to need a follow-up because I can't wait to hear how this goes. But her mindset and everything she did to set this up is so fascinating. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. And for more information on the Boss Business of Surgery series, go to bosssurgery.com. Welcome, surgeons. Residency didn't teach us everything we needed to learn to be a successful surgeon. While we spent our time caring for patients and learning how to operate, we didn't learn how to advocate for ourselves or navigate our career. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Vertries. I'm a general surgeon, certified coach, and founder of the Boss Business of Surgery series. This is where you'll learn those lessons not taught in residency. Welcome back. I have a special guest today. We found each other on, I think it was Instagram or something like that. I'm not exactly sure how our paths crossed, but I'm so excited for this guest today to hear everything that she has to say. This is Dr. Cheruba Prabhakar. Uh, she is an OBGYN and fellowship trained in minimally invasive surgery, which she is going against the grain and she has opened up her own cash-based surgery practice. I cannot wait to hear all about the things. And so Cheruba, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thank you so much for having me here. I'm so excited. Um, so I am. I, I did all my training in the East Coast. Uh, as you mentioned, I'm an OBGYN. I did a fellowship in uh, minimally invasive surgery. And um, then um, met my husband, who is from the West Coast and is in tech. And so we moved all the way out here, where I live now, in Oakland, California, in the Bay Area. And um, I was... You know, when I first came out here, I was a little um, disappointed at the lack of uh, private practices out here. Um, you know, when I was training, I saw a lot of uh, solo OBGYNs or GYNs, a lot of private practices. And so that was kind of the model that I wanted to uh, practice in. That's, you know, be, kind of be my own boss and, and all of that. And I had a vision of what I wanted that to be. And then when I came out here, I was actually very disappointed because they were it was all corporate medicine. So here in the West Coast, we had the big players are Kaiser and UCSF and Stanford and Sutter. And um, the whole notion of small two to three person or solo private practice um, kind of didn't exist. And uh, there were a smattering, you know, here and there, but they were all rapidly selling their practices off to the big corporations. And so I took a job um, with Stanford Medicine Partners, and I and I worked there for um, seven years. But about five years into it, um, I started getting a little restless and just started thinking like, "There's got to be more." And you know, my vision of you know working for myself, my vision of being in a private practice, um, you know, I still have that vision, and I and I want to bring it back. And you know, how can I do that? And I started thinking along those lines um and then finally got the courage to actually leave and um, start my own practice yes and i really want to explore this idea of this restless feeling that you had so you know clearly you've made a big move and so tell me a little bit more about this restless feeling where did that originate from yeah so i think you know when i was in fellowship i was like okay i'm gonna come out and you know really uh try to perfect all these skills and surgeries that I've learned. And I think it, it took me, you know, four to five years just to be that confident surgeon, um, manage things in the OR, you know, deal with complications, all, all of those uh, qualities and, and things you need to kind of be a well-rounded surgeon. And it took me um, about five years to do that as well as an obstetrician, because there's a lot of 
things that go on there in the OB floor as well that can that can be sometimes a little traumatizing. So it took me a while just to really feel confident about my skills and and as, as a physician. And then after that, I was like, okay, well, that's it. Like, what's next? And um, I kept going back to that vision that I had, but I felt trapped. I felt like there was just really no way I can do that. Like, I don't see anybody around me doing that. And, and a couple of people that had private practices were just complaining all the time about how, you know, it was so, so terrible and insurance doesn't, insurance doesn't pay. And, you know, they're thinking of selling their practices. And so it was kind of like, you know, doomsday all around, all around me. Um, but I couldn't shake that desire to really have that practice. And so I think that's when I started getting a little restless and I started exploring, like, have other people done this? Like, how could this potentially work? Um, and, you know, I have I have three kids. And um, so once my, my third baby was born, I was like, okay, well, I'm done with this part of my life. And now I really, really want to, you know, try and explore this. And I think I, I thought back to my 90 year old self and was like, you know, I would really regret it. Like if I didn't give this a go. And I think that was a big push for me. I'm just completely blown away by your story because, you know, you go to this place and everybody's doing the corporate medicine thing and the private practice guys are saying, don't do it. And you've got, you know, kids, we always think about like stability for our children and stuff. And you're like, you know, no, none of this. No, no, I don't, I don't see this happening. And so, you know, when everyone's going in one direction, you know, you took a completely different direction. And so I think it's just so uh, amazing and admirable. And I absolutely love your reasoning because so many of us are stuck in the hamster wheel of stuff, the worry about stuff, the scarcity of, you know, clinic, the worry and buying into the fear mongering and the boogeyman of the laws and things like that. And you decided I would regret it if I didn't do this. Like, yes. Amazing. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I know. When I look back even to like a year ago, I was like, wow, I've come a long way in completely changing my thinking and um, being brave enough to actually do it. Um, and when I think about, I think the pandemic changed a lot of things, um, you know, for many of us in terms of our priorities and work-life balance and what we really want out of work. And when I think about, uh, you know, being a physician, again, I think back to the time when I graduated medical school, doctors had a lot of autonomy and those in private practice, you know, they set their schedules, you know, they they were able to make it to their kids' soccer games. And when I think about the way I was working, I was like, no, like that's not happening. And I didn't want to want, you know, my whole life to go by uh, regretting that I didn't, you know, make all those events and uh, take advantage of all those, um, all those moments in my kids' lives. And so that was another motivation for me just to kind of engineer my own path, so to speak. Yes. And um, tell me a little bit about how your husband felt about all this. I know we talked a little bit before recording. And so, you know, was he all in or was there a little bit of, uh, you know, misgivings? Yeah. So that was interesting because my husband um, is the CTO uh, of a bay, of a startup himself. So he definitely has that entrepreneurial bug. Like he knows what it takes to, you know, get a company off the ground. And so perhaps because of that, he sort of thought like, gosh, you know, are you sure you really want to go all in on this and, you know, put so much stress on yourself and so much work? Because for him, certainly it was that it was a lot of hours, it was a lot of stress. Um, when, you know, I could 
quote unquote, you know, coast um, in a corporate job where I was doing well, I was ahead of my group, uh, you know, my benefits were great. Um, and we have three kids. And so, um, you know, it was just sort of a, a, somewhat of a, of a safety net or, or job security, although we know that that is not really true for even physicians who got fired during the pandemic. So he he was looking at me and just saying, like, are you sure you want to do this? And when he really saw that, yeah, this, this was my passion. This was this was my drive. I definitely had that uh, entrepreneurial blood in me. And I and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to be still until I explored it. He was like, okay, you know, um, supporting me and definitely giving me some good ideas as well. Yeah, I had a similar path as well. So I have a very supportive spouse who who said, oh, okay, a little hesitantly and let me do it. And he was, you know, all in and, and supportive. And uh, it wasn't until my partner um, was let go of our employee practice because it left him alone. So he essentially ended up, his contract was not renewed. And my husband afterwards, I, I thought that he was all in. And that was the first time he like, well, I thought you were crazy, but I guess you were right. This isn't as stable as we thought. Um, so, right. And yeah, I, maybe. yeah, I think, I think we've seen that through the pandemic, a lot of, you know, we thought our jobs were, you know, very secure and that has not been the case. And um, I think there's all, I also realized that there's so many other things I could do with my medical degree, um, like consulting for startups, for example, or being a speaker. And I felt fairly, you know, kind of um, restrained or restricted when I work for a corporate job, right? Because they have a lot of policies, a lot of red tape, you have to get permission for things. Um, and so I was like, why do I need to do that? Like, I worked so hard for, for this, I should just be able to, you know, do things within within reason. And um, so I, I think for me, I was just looking for that flexibility and that freedom. Absolutely. And, you know, I think a lot of us think that we're going to have that, uh, and when we don't and realize like, is this all there is? I think it seems to happen a few years in after training to where we kind of follow the, we toe the line, we do, a, you know, we follow the path, we do what we're told and then pause for a minute and say, wait, this is not exactly what I was expecting. Right. And, you know, one of my mentors said that that happens around the seven year mark um, where you're kind of like, okay, like, okay, let's move on to the next thing. And <clears throat> excuse me, um, I was able to surround myself with um, other physician entrepreneurs and communities that inspired me and showed me that, you know, this was possible. And so that was a huge help. I think we've become a much more um, virtually connected community after COVID. And um, so we have access to people and thoughts that we wouldn't have, you know, wouldn't typically have had before. And so that's been really cool for me and um, kind of a support system in kind of learning all the practical things that it takes, you know, to run a practice. I absolutely agree. And, you know, you and I are both, you know, fans of, of Dr. Una, the, uh, the Entree MD method. She's got a book, she's got a podcast, you know, she does all the yes. things. And, you know, I yes. think not only, you know, did the pandemic allow us to be more virtual, but I think a lot more doctors are speaking up too. Of course, she has been the, you know, the original uh, big push of all things that we haven't really thinking, but thinking outside the box, marketing for ourselves, you know, being the CEOs of our own practice and things like that is, you know, she was probably the first one that really started the conversation and she creates these great communities of people who come together with these like minds. And that is where, you know, we all come in is to voice our stories. And 
your story, of course, is very fascinating. The fact that you went against the grain, you know, could have gone the safe route, decided not to. So take me through how that transition went. You know, let's say from the time when you started making, you know, having the thoughts like, maybe there's something else out here. And so take me through that pathway that helped you decide, you know, to do that. Um, so as you mentioned with uh, Dr. Una, I am part of uh, the Entrepreneur Business School, which um, provides a great support and network with a lot of physicians there who have their own private practices. But for me, um, I spent many months debating this decision. And um, finally, I just wrote it down. And I said, by June 2022, I would have given my resignation. And, you know, I would, every month I would try to come up with exactly what I was going to say to my clinical chief and everything, but then it wouldn't happen. I would kind of back off and be like, Ooh, what am I doing? Like I have, you know, no safety net and, and all of that. But finally, I just decided that I just have to do, um, just take the next step and then everything else will follow. And so it started with that. I gave my resignation and it wasn't, wasn't as bad as I thought. And then I said, okay, now I need to find a space. So then I started networking with people, trying to send texts, emails, anyone, anybody know of, of space. Then that came through, got the space. And then I had to figure out, well, what kind of business model am I going to have? Am I going to take insurance? Am I not? And then I, you know, had went through the pros and cons of those and then decided that I was going to be out of network with insurance. And so that was a huge step. And um, I told, you know, my patients for my previous job when they said, oh, where are you going? I said, I can't really give details, but go to my website and just sign up for my uh, mailing list. And then, you know, when I'm ready, I'll, I'll send you the information. And so I learned how to still keep people engaged who would potentially follow me. And um, after that, then I had to figure out, you know, I took this big piece of paper and wrote on everything I had to do, like, you know, get equipment, uh, sign up with an EMR, like, what about phone service? Um, you know, what am I going to charge? Like, you know, bank account, I need to get my business incorporated, like all of these things that if you asked me a year ago, like, I wouldn't even know where to begin. But I made this big list and just started tackling one thing at a time. And I kept getting it done. And once I uh, left my previous job, I could also start to moonlight a little bit in the ER and um, take some OB call. So I could get some money coming in. Um, but then I really learned to do like grown up girl things like go meet an accountant, go get a lawyer, like things that I just sort of pushed away to my husband, um, you know, in our home to do and things that I never like really did because I was just in school the majority of my 20s and early 30s. Um, so I feel like I sort of missed out on a lot of that financial education that now I was am forced to, you know, get savvy on because I'm going to be running a business. So um and I, get, I just got more and more excited as, you know, I was able to check off each thing on that big giant list. And so I just kept going and I am now 10 days away from opening my doors. And um, there are still things that, you know, haven't been figured out, but that's okay. I, I know I have everything that I need to do to see patients that first week. And, and that's okay. I don't need everything figured out. Like I will just do it, you know, little by little and, um, and really enjoy enjoy the journey. So it it went from a very very scary thing to something that um, you know I have figured out. Um, somebody said like everything is figure outable. I don't know where that quote came from, but I really Re believe Re that. Reefolio, Reefolio wrote a book about it. Everything is figure outable. Yes. 
And yes. I mean, there's so many things that were so helpful, you know, just that little segment that you just had, which was, you know, a year ago, you never would have thought you would have done any of those things. And so that alone is first thinking, you know, just the glimmer of thought that we can do all of these things because something in the back of your mind knew that you can do it. And then all you had to do was write it down and realize I could do all of these things. This is not a problem. And then another freeing thought that you mentioned too, is that I don't have to actually have everything figured out. You know, that we sometimes fall in that perfectionism trap and you clearly did not because you saw that as a trap and decided you know, this is what I know, this is what I need to know, and I'm just going to go for it. I think it's amazing. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I decided just to celebrate that. And I said, wow, yeah, as you mentioned, these are things that I would not have thought possible for me. Um, and a year later, here I am doing all those things. And a year from now, you know, those things may be improved and maybe a little bit newer and different. And, and that's great. And I'll get more efficient. But this is enough for me to, for me to start. And, um, yeah, that has been such, uh, as you said, such a freeing thought. And um, it's it's propelled me forward instead of just like paralyzed in fear and, and getting stuck. <laughs> the thought that I had was not like that. It was something similar, <laughs> though, because I, uh, I too made a humongous list and then just decide I'm doing this on Tuesday. I'll do this on Thursday. We'll kick this to later. And then it became a running joke of ah, it's on the list. <laughs> something came up yeah, right. Right, right. list somewhere. <laughs> yes, yes. And you know, one important thing that I decided to do was I was not going to do this at the expense of myself and my health. So I said to myself, okay, I need two months um, when I'm not working uh, to really, you know, make this list and start working on it. Um, and some of those things I, you know, was able to do quickly and other things took longer. Um, but I was not going to try and work full time and do some ER call and try to set up this practice and stuff like that. And I was very clear from the beginning because the whole point of this whole thing is that I am, you know, being my own boss and, and having a better quality of life. And so I wanted to set that expectation, most importantly, to myself, because I think as a physician, we often, you know, that's not how we think we're, we're doing so many things for everybody else. And you know, running ourselves to the ground, essentially. And I was like, okay, that is not what I'm doing from day one. It's, it's going to be, a, it's a, going to be a win-win situation, like win for my business. Um, but if I'm not healthy and well, you know, there is no business. So um, I think that was also a very important um, thing that I did for myself. And we think that we're thinking of ourselves, but most of the time we're not because you you fall into the default, which is exactly what you described. And so what a uh, amazing inspiring thought to think like, I am actually going to put myself first, because if I don't put myself first, I can't actually do any of these other things. Exactly. And, uh, you know, some people said to me, wow, you're taking two months off. Um, and I said, yeah, that's what I anticipate. It'll take me to get this off the ground and, and network and, and, you know, put into practice all of the things that I've been learning at the business school and from other people who, uh, you know, run practices and I want to do it at a comfortable pace. I want to sleep, you know, seven to eight hours a night, spend time with my family um, and and still, you know, and still make this practice happen. And that's the amount of time that I just kind of decided that I needed. And it was perfect. And, you know, I, I have my grand opening um, next week uh, where I've invited a lot of other um, other doctors, to, uh, again, to network and to get to know the practice and my model and, um, you know, there are still things, as I mentioned, that have to be figured out, but it'll come. 
So take us through your model, because I think that is also an interesting aspect as well. Yes. So my model is a fee-for-service model. It's direct specialty care. And so I tell the patient exactly what they will pay for services. And in gynecology, it's pretty much broken down into three major categories. One is your annual well woman exam. Uh, One is like a problem visit. Somebody has um, a yeast infection or breast mass or something, and they want to just urgently come in. And the other is um, procedures, office procedures. Oh, and then there is a fourth category, which are um, operating room, like big surgical procedures. So I just have a flat price for each of these um, categories. And I tell the patient, hey, this is what you pay out of pocket, you know, when you see me. And I do have a biller who will bill their insurance and try to get back some reimbursement for the patient. And depending on the uh, insurance, sometimes they do have some good out-of-network benefits, which it's a nice perk for the patients that they, they don't have to like be on the phone with the insurance company trying to submit a bill and that the office will do it for them. So um, that's, that's my model. And for surgeries, like my big surgeries, like the robotic hysterectomies, robotic myomectomies, um, and any other laparotomies, um, as long as the patient is in network with the hospital, that'll be taken care of for the patient. And then for the surgeon's fee, I just charge them a flat uh, price for the surgery. So I do not build the insurance for the surgery, but I just um, charge them a flat price. And um, so yeah, that's, that's essentially my model. And I do have a small membership uh, uh, offering as well, where they pay pay a flat fee for uh, yearly um, access to me, unlimited visits, televisits in person, because there are some patients who come multiple times a year, and they want that access. And they, you know, by the time they added up all those costs for coming eight times, it probably just makes sense to pay a membership. So um, yeah, that's my model. And I know we hear a lot about that with the DPC, the direct primary care models. And, you know, I know that for a lot of times, especially young women, the gynecologist is their primary care. So that makes sense from an office model. So what have been the challenges that you've had in doing this cash basis for surgeries? Yeah. So, I mean, I haven't um, started yet, so I'm still trying to see what's going to happen, but I have two patients who have been referred to me for surgery and I've explained to them, Hey, this is how it's going to work. And uh, my out of network fee is, you know, X dollars. So that'll be a cash and they're fine with it. Uh, Patients have said, that's fine. We know that you're, you know, a minimally invasive surgeon. Um, We know that we'll get good care you're accessible, we can get an appointment with you, we don't have to wait for three months. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that that's exactly the value I'm providing. And there are patients who are looking for exactly that. And um, that's been super encouraging to me, because there are all these naysayers who are like, yeah, with surgery, this is never going to work. And I'm like, well, no, there are patients who are looking for that. Um, In fact, you know, my husband ruptured his Achilles um, playing tennis last year. And when we asked around like hey who should we see there's one name that came up everyone was like he's the ankle surgeon like you know he's the best just go to him and like we did and only after the surgery did we realize that he was actually out of network like we we didn't even realize that but you know what it was okay because he was the best like we knew that he was going to do a good job and um we just went with that so I think there are patients who want that and um who seek that and um so I, I like to look at it that way and so far, um, you know, they've been willing to pay and we'll see how it goes. Yeah. And 
I mean, I think we'll see more and more of that model too, of, you know, the transparency and pricing and things like that. Yes. Too. Um, and when patients actually see the transparency of pricing, they realize that the surgeons we're actually not paid all that much compared right. to anything. you know, our self-pay patients um, that we've had, you know, um, are consistently surprised when they come back and say, you know, we got the bills for everyone and you're the surgeon and you made like one of the least amounts of money. And I'm like, yes. I know, right? <laughs> yes. It's crazy. My son just had ear tubes and I looked at the bill and the surgeon's fee was like a third of the recovery room fee, you know, where he was in there for like 10 minutes. So it's, yeah, I think there's a misconception that, oh, yeah, surgeons are making a lot of money. And that's totally not true. When I, you know, before I decided to do this model, I looked at, you know, if I chose the best insurance, like what is the most they're going to pay me for like a complicated hysterectomy? And it was something like $2,000. And now I could have spent, you know, seven hours doing this complicated case. Um, and this was the best insurance, in the best case scenario. In the worst case scenario, it's like $700. Like, you know, I think my plumber charges more than that for three hours of work, you know? So it's, um, I think this is an interesting model. And then I think the public is starting to become more aware of it. And I think, especially after the pandemic, uh, people are starting to prioritize access to their physician. Um, and I think for those patients, this model um, will work really well. And I think the more transparent that we are with pricing, the more that the patients will then start to look and see where are my dollars going and what is my insurance getting me? Because I know a lot of people have like looked into some of these things and realized my, I'm paying all this for the insurance and I'm actually still being charged for a lot of these things. And yes. you know, we can potentially start adding some of this transparency by doing models yes. like this. Yes. And I think it is going to be um, a growing trend. Um, I think we've just hit the tip of the iceberg, you know, for those of us starting out now, but I think it is going to, that's, I think the way medicine is going to be in the future. And um, I think patients will get better care, again, more access to the physician, they don't have to run to the emergency room for things that they could have just taken care of in the office. And it'll just be more longitudinal and um, better quality care. I agree. And I think the biggest problem with out-of-network providers is not knowing that you're an out-of-network provider. So you're already fixing one problem of stating it up front. The main mm -hmm. problem that I can foresee potentially is patients not understanding what out-of-network means. But again, I think it's the transparency ahead of time that helps with yes. that. Exactly. And just explaining to them and really laying out, you know, how you're different from a traditional practice um, and what is the value they're getting from coming to you versus going to a traditional practice. And I think once patients understand that and how this works, a lot of them are fine with it. Now, are you taking call at a hospital nearby? Yes. So I am taking um, currently a some OB call at um, a nearby hospital just to keep up my obstetric skills and some ER call as well um, for the hospital. And um, I'll operate at these hospitals as well. So they know me from before. I'm curious because I know that one of the problems that um, that we've had with as these new providers, I know a lot of these new graduates are feeling this, you know, all the insurances are behind and getting people up to speed on these insurance contracts for providers, that the hospital does not want a surgeon that is not contracted with the insurance because they are worried 
that the insurance would have be confused, basically. I don't understand the surgeon and they don't, you know, that that may delay payments for the hospital. Have you experienced that concern with the hospitals that you work with? So not yet, um, but there was a biller who did tell me at one of the surgical centers, uh, outpatient surgery centers that I was trying to get privileges at, that depending on the insurance, especially HMOs, apparently, um, are more concerned about this, that often they want the facility as well as the surgeon to be in that work, versus the PPOs um, don't care as much. They, you know, everything is is split uh, and separate for the PPOs. So this is what I'm hearing. We'll see. Um, I don't know how that is all going to pan out, um, but yeah, it's it's an unknown. Yeah, and, and it's not that we can't do it. I think that the concern is that, you know, and, and this is all just the fear mongering of insurance, you know, that we're at the mercy of, you know, going to the altar of insurance and saying, please give us yes. money. And everyone is afraid of, you know, making mad the, uh, the pillar that we go to. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's just so crazy. And I mean, I also fell into that fear a little bit. I was like, gosh, you know, I'm a surgeon, like, this is what I like to do. You know, I want a high volume of cases. What if I go and they reject me because they say I'm not part, you know, in network. And that's just a risk I'm willing to take. I mean, you know, so far, uh, we'll see how it goes. Um, when I booked these surgeries for the two patients that I have in October, you know, the hospital hasn't said anything to me. And um you know, I talked to one of the insurances and they were like, yeah, you know, the the, the hospital is in network. So the patient get their um, surgery there and they didn't ask me, say anything about the surgeon. So I'm just going to go with that and see, you know, see what happens. And then if there are roadblocks, then, you know, I'll figure it out at that point, how to navigate that. I think your transparency is going to help you with everything because, you know, you're a known quantity. And so Take us through, you know, being a known quantity, how are you getting the word out? What are some of the things you're doing? Yes. So um, I had a wait list um, or a patient list on my website um, when I first announced that I was leaving my previous employer. And um, so patients who were interested in following me just kind of signed up on that, although I wasn't really allowed to give any more details, you know, at that point. So I had a little following there that I could then reach out to um, later on when I had more details. Um, I am posting on social media. I have an Instagram channel as well as a YouTube channel. And then right now I'm really like today, I spent all day um, going to offices. I had a couple of appointments with other uh, direct specialty care, direct primary care, concierge doctors, and really introducing myself, I'm inviting them to my open house and really developing you know one-to-one -one conversations and relationships with with them so that I think is going to be the most high yield um so just a lot of uh putting myself out there I love it and I've seen your you know your Instagram post and things like that too and and I know that we talked to Bethany Malone um as well uh, you know the more we put ourselves out there I mean and when we focus on what the patient really wants the patient wants a good doctor who knows what they're doing and knows what to expect and, you know, also knows how much to pay. And I think that there's a lot to be said for the transparency that you're offering and putting yourself out there as a known quantity that I think that does nothing but build trust. Yes. And in one of my emails to, you know, I send weekly emails to my mailing list and I just put out my prices there because I didn't want anybody to feel like, oh, they were coming to my appointment and then surprise, you know, your bill is, you know, X hundred dollars. Like, you know, I, I just tell them exactly what it is. And then they choose whether they want to make the appointment or not. And 
I've come to realize that not everybody is my ideal patient. You know, some people are fine waiting three months and spending 10 minutes with their doctor as long as they can just pay the $10 copay. And that's fine. That's up to them. But that's just not who I am looking to treat and looking to care for. And I think that was another mindset shift, like thinking like, well, everyone's just not going to love me and follow me and come with me. Like there are a lot of people for whom this doesn't work and that's okay. But I'm going after a certain, you know, population and, um, and uh, they will come as long as I am, you know, honest and upfront and transparent. I love it. And I, you know, I've been thinking about this lately. I think the idea of co-pays and all too have really shot us in the foot. I know that that some part was to, to let the patients have some buy-in into this, but it becomes this misconception of that's how much the doctor's visit is, is $10. Yeah. Right. Not recognizing that, you know, that's not really a reasonable amount and that's actually not what the visit is. Right. I mean, it's hundreds, you know, when you look at an annual exam bill, and I saw this when patients were paying, um, you know, through their flexible savings account or the health savings account and out of pocket, you know, it'd be like $600, $700 sometimes. Um, and so that's how much it, it was. And I think I think doctors don't know how much care is and patients don't know. So it's this whole kind of the blind leading the blind and this whole maze of just stuff that is controlled by the insurance companies, which has is detrimental to all of us at the end of the day. Yes, and I wanted to take us to uh, something you were talking about before we started recording about, you know, what the example that you wanted to set for your kids, because a lot of times we think, you know, our inheritance to our kids is money, but that was not what you were thinking. Tell me what you were thinking when you had your kids in mind. Yes. um, You know, growing up for me, you know, my parents and sort of the elders in our community were like, okay, you know, make sure you go to school, do really well. Uh, you know, become a doctor or engineer, like these are the well-respected professions. Um, Not that, you know, they were against it if I wanted to do something else, but this was sort of the general way in which children were raised. Um, And my middle child who's six told me the other day that she's like, mom, I don't know that I really want to go to college. And, you know, I think a couple of years ago, I'd have been like, what? Like, no, like, you know, maybe even a year ago, I'd been like, no, you know, you have to go to college, it's a respectable thing to do, get your four-year degree. And I said to her, that's fine. If you can figure out a way to be entrepreneurial, have your own business maybe and make money and and be self-sustaining, that's fine. You don't don't need to go to college. Um, But I think this is, it's given me a different framework of um, thinking about how it is we should live our lives. And it doesn't have to be this straight line from A to Z. There can be some zigzags, you know, there can be some tur- about turns. There, there can be a lot of ways in which you get to your destination. And, um, you know, I'm making a pivot. I'm making a change, you know, close to close to being 40. And um, so I want my children to realize that there are many ways of doing things. And um, there are many ways of thinking about your goals. And I want them to see that example in me. Um, and so this is something that as I grow in this journey and learn, I talk to my kids about it, like how there are so many ways in which you can, you know, um, achieve your goal. And it's okay sometimes not to even know what that is, as long as you're flexible, you're thinking outside the box and, you know, constantly learning and pushing yourself. 
I couldn't think of any better, you know, inspiration to provide your kids than that. I mean, what an amazing, you know, inheritance you're providing for your children is this growth mindset and acceptance and taking chances and doing, you know, really amazing things and amazing yourself. I mean, that's really the best gift that we as parents can give to our kids is not the fixed mindset of you must do this, but a growth mindset of saying, you'll figure it out and I'll support you. And and let me just show you how to do it. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Thank you. I mean, I I was an immigrant to this country when I moved when I was 12. And, you know, I came from India where it was more of a scarcity mindset. There were only, you know, this many spots in college and this many spots in university. So you really had to, you know, bust it to to get into one of those spots. And only if you did, would you have a good, respectable life and then all that. And then coming here to the US and and then growing up really here for the rest of my life, you know, college and high school and um, medical school and, and everything there, you know, you look around and you're like, wow, there are a lot of, you know, neat ways to, to do things. And then again, I think you're kind of boxed in when you get into that, to the medical school route, because again, it's a straight and narrow path. And now I'm learning to sort of unbox myself and, um, and grow in that way. And Uh, teach my kids to do the same. I'm so excited. I mean, your story is so inspiring. We clearly already have the framework for a follow-up because I can't wait to hear how all this goes, you know, all of your successes, what you've learned, because I don't see you thinking anything is a failure. You know, I see you only improving, you know, because anything as we've, you know, redefined what, what failure is, is that anything that happens that's not expected, we just pivot and make it better. And so for yeah. you, I mean, I think recognizing that the sky is the limit, you could have the practice that you want, you could be the physician and the leader that you want. And I think it's really inspiring. I think a lot of people are going to be really excited to follow you. And along those lines, where can they follow you? Um, so my I'm on social media uh, as the fibroid doc on Instagram and YouTube. And um, my website is thefibroiddoc.com. I think that's great. And of course, we'll post this on the the show notes and on our social media post as well, because I'm sure a lot of people are going to be following your example as we learn a different way to do these things. So thank you so much for providing this really inspiring example of thinking outside the box. And I'm really excited to see all that that goes on. So Dr. Prabhakar, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate all that you have. And I cannot wait to have a follow up to talk more about it. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a fun podcast. Thank you. For more information on the Boss Business of Surgery series, go to bosssurgery.com.